Hello and welcome to Innovation, Change, and Leadership from the 2019 Not-for-Profit Forum podcast series. In this first episode, Carla Funk, President and CEO of Transform International Canada, examines how not-for-profit leaders are expected to navigate complexities in an increasingly turbulent world. And now, here's Carla's presentation. I was in my 20s with a newly minted Masters of Agronomy thesis. The UN had hired me to go to Ethiopia and assess an area the size of West Germany for its agronomic potential and wind down a feeding program for 30,000 people. What we didn't know at the time was that civil war was imminent. What we didn't know at the time was that Somalia, the neighbor, was shutting down refugee camps and hungry and desperate people were flooding across the border into my region, the Ogaden Desert. What we didn't even realize was the famine wasn't over. It was only just starting. The UN had promised that I would have three partners, a team of three for the distribution program of 30,000. They sent me people, but nobody stayed. They got sick, they got scared, and they were overwhelmed. And then our Ethiopian logistics officer had a nervous breakdown, and I took over, I took over his role as well. There I was in my 20s. I had never been to a developing country in my life. I was urgently responsible for the lives of 500,000 people. I was managing 60 African men in a, they were, diver, they were dispersed in a vast war-torn desert. It was chaotic, it was turbulent, and it was probably the most intense crisis management experience that I will ever encounter. Who would have guessed that my three-month contract would have been extended six times? I stayed for 18 months. People ask me, how is it that you stayed when often people couldn't even stay a week? The answer lies in some of the lessons that I'm going to share here today. The lessons that are st they're still valid in my daily work, in my work with some of the poorest of the poor in Africa, which I continue to do, they're valid and have been valid with some of the wealthiest of the, of the, of the world in Switzerland and in Canada. And for the interviews that I did around the world for my doctoral research, these lessons were solidified. What I learned is that we need to exercise a different leadership muscle. When times are turbulent, and it takes a lot of effort, You may not be in turmoil in Africa, but it's clear that the critical uncertainties that are caused for leaders by rapid changes we are witnessing right now globally and, and locally are things like political shifts, economic shifts, environmental shifts, demographic, technological shifts. The lists are endless. We are indeed, indeed living in turbulent times. And let's be clear. Everybody in this room is a leader in their own right, whether or not your title says that you are. 
we all exhibit leadership at certain points in our lives. Your purpose as a leader is to influence others to achieve a vision. When rapid changes hit us, it can spin us wildly out of control. My goal here today is to leave you with an increased awareness of how we can prepare. I'll take you far outside of your office and I'm gonna bring you back again. We'll look at what I did in Africa. We'll look at what the military found out in complex combat zones. And we'll look what, at what leadership books are telling us. And I'll walk you through some of the small changes that can make a real difference in your organization. So there's, there should be a card in front of you and I want you to take just a few minutes right now, actually probably one minute given our time, to just reflect on leadership qualities that rise to the top for you. What is one or two leadership qualities that you think is really critically important? And for those of you online, if you could also do this, that would help. So if somebody wants to share what they spoke about, if they could come to one of the two microphones here, that would be wonderful, and just share. And, I, and if nobody gets up, I'm going to point to somebody. So the threat is looming. How about somebody that's really close to the two over there? Okay. Okay. That'd be great. Thank you. Okay, there we go. I'll admit up front that I just cheated with mine. Um, I had, last weekend, I had Kung Fu Panda on for my son, and there were five qualities that came out in a good leader. <laughs> hey, it works, right? Search for wisdom wherever you can find it. Discipline, courage, confidence, patience, and compassion. Ah, that's, fun. that's yeah. wonderful. Thank you. From a children's cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we are modeling leadership for sure, is in our families, for some people, it's in churches and schools. Anybody from this side of the room? Brave enough, you know I'm gonna pick on somebody next to the microphone, thank you. Hi, I think we had a few of the same ones uh, as over there, but we just talked about compassion and empathy and approachability, um, and we are talking about the open door policy that I've had with anybody that I've ever looked up to, just the ease of being able to approach them with anything and talk to them. Um, and respect, knowledge, integrity, ability to remain optimistic in difficult times, and honesty and confidence. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much. And look at what we got from our online viewers. <coughs> Adaptive, trustworthy, empathy, honesty, integrity, trust, respect. These are all fantastic words. We're going to come back. I just want you to think through this a little bit, and we're going to come back to this in a little bit. Most of us recognize and are comfortable with the command and control style of leadership on the left. I would say in Canada, that would be your average Normal, you have the CEO, president, or executive director, and then you have layers of VP or however your hierarchy works. There's another way, and that way is engage and align. And when you engage and align, you can sort of see that structure there, and trust me, it's still there, but all of the other lines are really blurred. And in turbulent times, I'm going to suggest to you today 
that engage and align is the way that you're going to succeed in your management style. And so I liken this to the difference between a play with a script and roles and responsibilities and how you communicate. It's all very carefully structured. Engage and align is much more like improv. So with improv, ultimately both, both want to have a brilliant play. There's no question. But in improv, a leader is still responsible for the organization, responsible for setting the scene and practice and for all the decisions made within that structure. But when on stage, communication and decision making is devolved to the actors. And unwittingly, in Ethiopia, I became adept at improv leadership. In Ethiopia, I could not use command and control with 60 African men. What to do? What would you do? You're in your 20s. These men are older. They're, they're culturally not used to listening to a woman. I looked like I was 14 to them, and they said that. They asked me why the UN sent a baby to help them. I asked the men, here's what I did. I asked the men to select six team leaders. I gathered the leaders in a quiet space and told them that while I was equipped for the job I was hired for, I was definitely not equipped for the job that we were facing. I needed them to guide me, and for two days, we sat on a floor in a hot concrete shed. We sat in a circle. We shared large platters of food that we ate with our fingers, and we drank hot, sweet, spiced tea. The first day, we talked about their work, and mostly all I did was listen. We laughed, we cried, we shared. These men were a diverse group of different and clashing tribes. They fought a lot. They had varying degrees of education and came from various stratas of social stratas. And what we did there on the floor was build trust amongst us all. Somebody was asking Deanna a few hour, an hour ago, how do you build trust? I learned there that eating, drinking, and sharing stories helps to build trust. By the second day, we agreed that our overarching intent was that food must get to people. We didn't care whether you drove trucks and had a fuel issue. We didn't care about all of the smaller, minor details. The overarching issue was really clear. We co-created a plan. What was working, what wasn't working, how could we improve the logistics of food distribution based on their frontline experience? Together, we co-created a vision of streamlining the food distribution so that people wouldn't have to walk great distances in a state of malnutrition and exhaustion. We rationalized the verification and accountability system so that it was faster and yet also more precise. In short, what we did was we aligned our mission and engaged each and every one of them. By day three, when those men returned to the teams in desert, we knew we were all part of something bigger than us all. We knew we were saving lives, 
and that it was urgent. And when the men left, I trusted them to bring the message to their teams. I trusted them to make the right decisions on the front line in order to achieve our goal. And they trusted me back and to back them up in every way that I possibly could. And it worked. Day after day, month after month, despite food convoys getting caught in crossfire, trucks and team members being blown up by landmines, despite getting malaria repeatedly and my getting typhoid, we carried on. This is what I learned that has translated since across countries, cultures, and social class as a universal lesson. I learned that it's okay not to know all of the answers. I learned it's okay to postpone judgment and that it's very important to listen and to listen deeply. Those two intimate days with my team leaders broke down the barriers that society had instilled in all of us. I learned to watch body language when they spoke in languages that I didn't understand. I learned to watch power dynamics. Who was intimidating others? Who diffused the scene with joke and laughter? Who didn't say much and why not? I wondered, how could I draw that person out? And when I did, those quiet people often had so much valuable to share. And it turns out in some of the work that I've been doing reading that turbulence in famine is not that much different than turbulence in the military. The military knows all about turbulence. The world over, they found out that complex and rapidly changing combat situations, the command and control style of leadership, leaves the troops vulnerable. For example, US Marine Paul Van Riper was the leader of the red team of a $250 million game that was designed to simulate combat in Iran. The blue team was using a command and control system. Van Riper saw that the only way that he could win was if he changed his management style. He told his staff that he would be in control, in command, sorry, got it backwards. He told his troops he would be in command but out of control. And that meant that the troops would know the intent of the mission but they were not going to depend on intricate orders coming from the top. Just as in improv, they were to use their own in initiatives and ideas during the mission. And they broke that blue team. Van Riper's system has its risks. It meant that leaders didn't always have a very clear idea what the troops were up to. It meant that he had to place a lot of trust in his subordinates. He admitted it was a messy way to make decisions, but it had one overwhelming advantage. It allowed people to operate without having to constantly explain themselves. Simply, they could get on and do their jobs, get on to what, they need and what needed to be done. In extreme and complex, rapidly changing environments, quick, intuitive decision-making is what counts, and Van Riper saw that. But con convincing the military to change was not simple, and here's why. 
the military was finding that developing these human connection skills was really hard. This was putting them face to face with the messy realities of human behavior. What leader hasn't found it easier to address an issue on a spreadsheet than have to figure out a tricky human relations situation? Using these principles takes longer to implement than technical or marketing strategy and with less immediate results. It's hard to measure and it can be really hard to achieve. It feels soft to those people who want quantitative methods. It requires a shift from the hierarchical command and control style to engaging with stakeholders and aligning purpose with action. And this is tough. That's why I don't call them soft skills. I call them adaptive skills. So what does this mean to you? You haven't worked in, you're not working in an African famine. You're not in the military. What are some of the things that could help us prepare for turbulence, because it's coming, in our own Canadian organizations? In my view, your team culture is the way that you interact and treat each other. And just like improv theater, or like what I found in Ethiopia, the shift in thinking builds trust, mutual respect, open lines of communication, and devolved decision making. When using engage and align tactics, embracing diversity is critical and you, because you want all the perspectives. Can you imagine in a combat zone, you just haven't listened to the one guy who says, there's a bomb coming, there's a bomb coming. You need everybody to feel empowered to speak. Australian researchers, Howe and Curtis, made a case for particularly championing diversity at the board level. Because when you do that, this sends a strong signal that reverberates through the, through the entire organization. Researcher and professor Brené Benny Brown asserts that this process takes courage. You can't predict the contro or control the outcome, and, that can, and it can be very messy and scary. You need to have courage and trust that others can and will deliver ideas and actions that go far beyond what you as their leader could even dream of or imagine. McKinsey consultants asked the same question that I asked you earlier about leadership. They asked it to 189,000 people in 81 countries from around the world, 81 ranked organizations from around the world. They identified 20 top qualities for leadership effectiveness and when they dug deeper, only four of them account for almost 90% of effectiveness. Be supportive, an adaptive skill. Operate with strong results orientation. Could be adaptive, could be more technical. Seek different perspectives, an adaptive skill. Solve problems effectively, adaptive or technical. When I looked at the full 20 on that list, 15 of them were adaptive skills. When we think about the list that you came up with, not a single person brought up spreadsheets, strategic planning, or budgeting. 
These are qualities we expect of our leaders. When you, whether you lead a nonprofit or a for-profit organization, you're legitimately expected to be able to come with, up with a business plan. And it has to be based on a government-led strategic planning process. Most of the qualities you identified build those connections between people. They are more elusive and less measurable than the technical skills that we know to be are critically important. So are we any closer to knowing what we need to do to be leaders in turbulent times? My biggest frustration while I was reading all this, I wanted the holy grail of how. Give me a formula, tell me what to do, I don't understand. Countless books encourage us to do this. So over the years, I've kind of made a note of some small changes that we can all make, and it'll have a big impact on your team. So let's do a quick recap. As with improv or in the military, in complex combat zones, leaders need to practice. We need to engage and align our goals in order and, and have social interaction in the following ways. We want to co-create a vision to ensure, clar ensure clarity of intent at all levels. We want to listen to diverse perspectives and be inclusive. We want to develop a culture of trust and mutual respect and have transparent sharing of knowledge and information. And we need open lines of communication. Paying attention to how we relate to each other is the key to mastering this, and also to know that it's okay that we don't know everything. So how do we foster alignment? We start with why. Why does your organization exist? I liken this to a magnet with iron filings. And when you actually have the clarity of your why, all of those iron filings magically seem to line up and push and push in the right direction. If staff need to make rapid, on-the-spot decisions on the front line, you want that silent leader, that clarity of their why, pointing them in the right direction. Why you do what you do naturally aligns the staff. And if it's co-created, there's no need for buy-in. Recall in Ethiopia that I sat in a room and together we hammered out a plan based on their knowledge of the front line and mine of what I could feasibly do to support them. This clarity also helps to align external stakeholders volunteers, business leaders, supportive government organizations, since understanding your why will help them see where they can fit in. How can they help? Marketing, communications, is simplified when everyone is clearly aligned to a common purpose. It might seem really obvious that this is a great place to start, but it's astonishing how often I work with organizations as a consultant and I find some discord. Let me tell you about my own organization. Two years ago, when I was first introduced to Transform International USA, they were a startup having trouble getting lift. 
in their newness. They hadn't completely ironed out their why. And every person I met answered slightly differently. When I asked, what's your core purpose? After facilitating a half-day session, this does not take long, people, in Atlanta, using a rapid research technique, I helped them co-create a vision. They were engaged in the process and aligned around the vision. It was effort to get 40 people from around the world in one room. That was the biggest problem. Since we did that, we've never looked back. Other organizations are more mature, and they, but they may have drifted from their original why, or they may have expanded into other areas and have lost the thread. Why is a powerful question for us all to answer. Staff ask themselves, why should I hustle for this organization? Donors ask, why should I donate? Key volunteers, why should I become a board member? Clarity also means alignment of values, which really is the code for how we treat each other. Mutual respect, trust, inclusion, open communication. These are values that are critical to engaging and aligning, and clarity on them is really important. So added to clarity of intent, we need to start working on the connective tissue that binds your team. And where do we spend a lot of time when we're working? Meetings. The first thing I would do is observe. Tony Prophet, the equity office, officer at Salesforce, poses a number of questions to ask yourself when you want more engagement and inclusion at meetings. Let me read a couple of questions to you and think through it for your own meetings. Who took the majority of the airtime? Who was checking messages when another person was talking and then paid attention when another one spoke? Who put out an idea that was not well received? And then 10 minutes later, who put out the same idea that was well received? Who interrupted? Who was interrupted? Who did you not hear from? Who got invited to the in, into the meeting? Who didn't get invited? Do you recall that when I was in Ethiopia, I couldn't always understand the languages that the men were speaking? I was forced to keenly observe the power dynamics at that meeting. And this is what Tony Prophet is talking about. And what about gender and diversity? Recall that one of the four qualities McKinsey identified as representing 90% of effectiveness in leadership is to seek different perspectives. So let's consider a male-female ratio. Why are numbers or a goal of 50-50 split between men and women not the only consideration? I think some of you in the room will know why. Because research tells us that women are more likely than men to be interrupted by both men and women. This happens in unstructured meetings like brainstorming and is one of the reasons why brainstorming meetings can be largely ineffective. We also know that power differences have an important role in who dominates the, the conversation. When men are in a high-powered position, they're more likely to talk more. 
Women do not talk more when they're in a power position. It's enough of picking on men now. Further on the point of power, though, did you notice how I structured the activity earlier? I had you each think individually on a question and write, write it down before sharing it. And often, when we take time to reflect on something and write it down, we're more likely to share ideas and less likely to be shut down by other people's ideas. And if you're in a position of power, it's better not to speak at all until you've exhausted the thinking in the room. Otherwise, you're more likely to influence those that want to please you rather than open the door to new ideas. In your organization, how are expressions of anger and frustration treated? Does everybody have the same range of emotions available without judgment from others? Are passion and conviction received the same from everyone? What contributes or takes away from the psychological safety in the meetings? No one will speak up if they don't feel safe. American research tells us that we are, oh, I am beating up on men again. We are most likely to take the, uh, most unlikely to take the advice of women or non-whites. I would ask, how can we structure our meetings to take these voices off of mute? Building trust is what I did when I called my team together in Ethiopia. Did I notice that I had you do this quick icebreaker today and I got you to move seats? I wanted to build a feeling of safety and trust in the room, and that often starts with just getting to know each other better. Interacting on non-work-related topics is not a waste of time. It's building bridges of trust and understanding of differences. Observe how we interact with each other. Who sets, sits next to whom? Switching seats deliberately helps us to avoid setting in, getting into set patterns. Even though we're not in an office setting here today, I did this. We deliberately switched seats. Of course, I wanted to add a little bit of turbulence, but also what we did was have a conversation with someone new. We just nudged our engagement in this room up a single notch, just with the simple act of changing seats. A manager announces, before I make my decision, I'd like to ask for your opinions. It's supposed to make you feel engaged. And Dilbert asks, and you actually plan to listen to us? Oh, I'm hoping it'll look that way on the outside. For many of our organizations, this has a real ring of truth. And when that happens, it's such a false premise. We near, really, truly need to want to listen and learn. We need to know that every voice is empowered to speak up, but staff will only speak up if you actually listen. Recently, I facilitated a session between two organizations that were experiencing difficulties on a project that they were collaborating on. I watched as a young, gay, female anthropologist was interrupted and her credibility challenged every time she spoke with her older, white, male colleagues. Beating up men again, sorry. I watched her simply shut down and she stopped contributing until I spoke up. 
I was the facilitator, and I drew her out. Turns out she was the most experienced, and eventually she felt safe enough to share her superior and fully developed business plan. The men had not stopped long enough to truly listen to this highly accomplished and hardworking person. Okay, that might be an extreme example, but let's face it, most of us are lousy listeners. We think faster than we speak, and that creates the potential for our minds to wander. And we tend to listen to some people much more than others. The key here is to become aware of this and amplify those people that find themselves muted and include them when they're excluded. Your goal as a leader is to ensure that people feel heard. Human nature is so complicated. We tend to see ourselves as contributing more, but research indicates that in the workplace, some people are more likely to receive credit for contribution to work than others. In general, we tend to overclaim our credit and undercredit people from groups facing bias. These two patterns are really dangerous to inclusion. Just note and give credit where it's due. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be something as simple as, oh, thanks, Sally, for sparking that conversation, and Bob, Peter, and Sharon for contributing. I think we made progress here today. This can do such great things for morale. Okay, I think this is where the poll happens again. I'd like you to take a minute to think about a specific way that you can make just one change when you head back to your office after this conference. It doesn't have to be a big change. It can be as simple as reminding yourself to observe how people interact. Listen more, speak less, reserve comment during meetings, Listen to all before speaking. Observe more and probably speak less. Seek input. Draw out those that are silent in meetings. Is there anything else in the room that maybe somebody feels very strongly about? I know we've only got about 16 minutes left. That's how people were so precise. Um, but really, there are, it's all about those nuances of power imbalances and actually deeply listening and I guess caring, caring about your staff and caring about who they are and what they think. So let's do a check-in. And how many of you have thought of small ways to improve interactions specifically at meetings? And I guess we just did that and people came up with some. But there's always some that have already doing that and still struggling to try to get some more engagement and connectivity in their groups. So here we go, 91% say yes and 9% no. And I would guess that the no are probably in some pretty stubborn situations. <laughs> And that I feel for you, because I've been there too, and it takes a lot to crack that nut sometimes. And uh, my only comment to that is stick with it. And, and this is an exercise. It's, 
using your engage and align muscles and building that connectivity between us all. So I'm going to shift the focus now. Rather than turbulent times, what can engage and align do for your organization right now if you're a really stable organization? Before I do that, though, I'm going to ask for just a little bit of feedback. Here's why feedback for me is so important. As the newly appointed leader of Transform International Canada, I work with partnering local organizations in eight countries around the world. And when we travel to these countries, my team offer local community partners training in really basic water, sanitation, alternative energy, etc. And while those are always of interest, and we bring in the engineers, and we bring in business partners for market-based solutions, increasingly they are more and more interested in my adaptive and leadership skills training workshops, because it shakes their fundamental belief in command and control. Just like here, our partners there recognize that the world is changing and that they need to change how they go about their business in order to succeed. But no workshop, training, or talk is perfect, and it would help me enormously if you would take a moment after this session to let me know what resonated with you. What didn't I have? What could I have included? Now you get it. I should get rid of the notes. This was, uh, yeah. So many others around the world would really benefit from your feedback. And if anybody's interested in hearing more about Transform International Canada, I'd be delighted to tell you. So outside of turbulent times, when things are stable, what are some of the issues that you hear about a lot that using an engaged and aligned approach, how can that help you? How about office silos? Silos that occur when small teams within a large organization stop communicating effectively with each other. Organizations are more, most productive when departments can clearly and effectively communicate with other departments. A recent study showed that 65% of executives name silos as one of the biggest obstacles in cross-departmental collaboration. It restricts organizations' productivity and can lead to really important time sense of uh, information being lost or misinterpreted. As leaders, we seek ways to build the connective tissue in our organizations and between organizations, and by doing that, we erode these office silos. How about retention? Retaining good employees is always a good thing to care about. Exercise your engage and align muscles and retention will improve. I'm going to tell you now why I didn't leave Ethiopia. It was a terrible time. Sure, like everybody else, I was scared. I got sick. Actually, I was scared. I was terrified most of the time. I got sick, and yes, I was overwhelmed. But unlike all the others that came and left, I knew my team. By developing the connective tissue between us, we, build a tr we built trust. 
Through trust, I became incredibly loyal to my team, and they were loyal to me. And it hadn't taken much. A meeting and a shift in how we interacted with each other. Just like improv or the military, I'd accepted that I was in command, but now I had shared the control. Yeah, what I faced as a young woman in the desert seemed impossible when I started. And yes, I cried with them when we suffered terrible losses, human losses. But no victory has ever been as sweet as succeeding in feeding entire villages in the hot, dusty Ogden Desert. And I stayed with them until I got them through the worst. U.S. research looked in-depth at retention, and while American workers are not particularly engaged at best, research tells us that millennials lead the pack. 71% are either not engaged or actively disengaged at work, making them the least engaged generation. Analysis revealed that 47% of actively engaged Millennials strongly agree that they will, will switch jobs disengaged. So 47% of disengaged millennials say they're going to switch jobs. But if they're engaged, only 12% say they would switch jobs. Millennials want to feel deeply committed to their role and place great importance on social causes and sense of purpose. They want to know how do they fit in the organizational puzzle. How is their work relevant? Does anybody care? Clarity in your values and your why will help millennials understand whether their personal goals are aligned with the goals of the organization. Co-creating the intent of your work adds clarity and helps this growing segment of the workforce understand how their daily labors are aligned to your organization as a whole. I was going to talk a little bit about change management and decided I didn't need to after I heard Mark and Lise from the Heart and Stroke Foundation talk about this. I hope that you went to that session, but basically they used engage and align methods. They, I, Mark specifically said he engaged at the board level and got their buy-in. They took leaders from across the organization that represented various diverse groups and they co-created the system and they listened deeply and then they communicated the story. That's a clear example of change management and using engage and align methodology. And I would add that by loosening up on command and control that you end up being, uh, by listening up on command and control and shifting your emphasis to engage and align, your organization will become more resilient. It doesn't matter whether it's in times of turbulence or not. Start with clarity in your why. Why you do what you do and work on developing values that embody how you relate to each other and observe and make subtle changes to the power dynamics that will impact inclusion and the ability to speak safely. Office silos will erode 
and staff retention, especially millennials, will be bolstered. Engage and align principles will help frame change management. Your organization will be more resilient at the best of times, let alone when things get spinning out of control in turbulence. It doesn't take much to make a big impact. Start small, but I urge you to start. Start to exercise your adaptive, engage, and alignment leadership muscles and build that connective tissue for your team. You might be surprised where your team will take you, but oh, the places you'll go. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Innovation, Change, and Leadership Presentations from the 2019 Not-for-Profit Forum podcast series.